And happy New Year. Some of us probably love the New Year. Some of us probably just look at it as another date on the calendar. Some of us are into making New Year's resolutions. Maybe you signed up for the gym again. Maybe you formed a budget again. Maybe you formed some new things again. But there's something about that word new that I think all of us love. And today we begin a series called New Beginnings. And doesn't that have a great ring to it? New and beginnings. The word new is so much better than old. The word beginning sounds so much better than ending, doesn't it? Or maybe sometimes. Who, who doesn't like a new car versus an old car? Well, unless it's a classic car. And if you're older, you could just look at yourself as a classic. Who doesn't like the beginning of a vacation versus the end of a vacation? Well, it depends how the vacation went. But new beginnings sound great. But new beginnings also mean old endings. That if you're beginning something new, the old is coming to an end. And old endings aren't as exciting as new beginnings. Out with the old and in with the new we hear, but it's much easier said than done and isn't as simple as that sounds. Out with the old and in with the new sometimes isn't something we want or desire or even look at as positive. But it does happen. Glancing through Facebook over the Christmas holiday, I came across a lot of new and old beginnings and endings. I saw new children, new couples, new presents. But I also saw new sickness, new death, new divorce, new betrayal. For some of you, Christmas might have been a glorious time, but for others might have been rough. Maybe it was the first year with something or the first year without something. Maybe it was the first year with a new child or the first year without a loved one. Maybe it was the first year with or without your health or with or without money. And then we walk into this new year and we talk about new beginnings. And the reality is that A day on the calendar, a switching from 2018 to 2019 doesn't change much in our lives. Besides your calendar, your deductible for your insurance. So where do you begin a new year? How do you jump into a new year and be realistic and be optimistic about new beginnings and old endings and taking on a different path or trajectory? Well, all of us are in different situations in our life, and I don't know exactly personally where each and every one of you are at, but what I do believe is that we can learn from the example of others. And we can look at other people's lives and see things that we look at as positive or helpful to guide and direct us as we enter into new seasons. So as we begin this new series, we're going to take a look at the life of Moses over the next few weeks. And Moses is an example of new beginnings in many different ways. We see new beginnings across the board. So we're going to break this down with the life of Moses into different kind of chapters. We're going to look at letting go, leaning in, holding on, moving forward, and finishing well. And so for for today, we're going to look at Moses 
with letting go. A bit of a background of Moses, he is a pretty well-known Bible character in the Old Testament, and we first find the stories of Moses on the Bible timeline in the part of Exodus, in the book of Exodus. This is after the patriarchs of Israel, who are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And to give you a little refresher on uh, history uh, of the nation of Israel, Abraham was given a promise by God that he was going to be made into a great nation. But for many, many years, his wife was barren. He didn't have any offspring to take this nation forward. And so he waited till his wife and him were 100 years old to finally see that promise fulfilled. And he was given a son named Isaac. And then Isaac had children, and one of his first children was Jacob. And Jacob had children. And this is where the 12 tribes of Israel come from, is the lineage of Jacob, who was later renamed Israel. One of Jacob, or Israel's children, was Joseph. And Joseph was the pride of his, his father, Jacob. And his other brothers became jealous of Joseph, got so angry with him, they wanted to kill him, but instead sold him into slavery into the land of Egypt. While Joseph was in Egypt, he was promoted from being a prisoner to being second in command in the nation of Egypt. And it was during a multi-year famine where Joseph, because of his wisdom and insight from God, was able to preserve the nation of Egypt, but also where his family migrated from their land to Egypt to live with him. At that time, when Joseph's family came, his father, brothers, sisters, and their families, it was a group of 70 people that arrived in Egypt. And everything was good. They survived the famine. They began to grow in this nation. The years passed. Hundreds of years passed. And the people began to multiply. And it was estimated that over a million people grew up as a nation in Egypt. And as they grew up in this nation, Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, realized, wow, this this nation is growing and they're becoming a threat to us. So we have to do something. So Pharaoh made a decree and said that any child, male child born, would be killed at birth. Or thrown into the Nile River. And it's at this point that we arrive at Moses' story. If you want to follow along, we're, we're in Exodus chapter 2. We're also on the YouVersion app under events. So you can click on there and find all the notes. But we're going to be in Exodus 2 for today. And so Moses is born into this period of conflict. Of chaos. It's not a peaceful relationship between the Egyptians and the Israelites. Have you ever been in that situation? What started off as good turns on you? Maybe it's a relationship. It was great at one time, but somehow it has morphed into something completely different that is unhealthy and destructive for you. Maybe it's a new job that you're so excited about and the first three months were great. And then something happened. And this job becomes soul-sucking for you. Maybe it's a new house. 
But all of a sudden it becomes the money pit, if you know that old movie. (laughs) Maybe it's a new child, a new pet, a new car. Whatever it is that's new at one time, it's so exciting and vibrant and life-giving. But then something happens over the years. And this is what Moses was born into. A time of unrest, a time where there was conflict, a time where the Egyptians were pushing down the Hebrew people to hopefully destroy them. So let's begin reading in Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. About this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister stood there at a distance watching to see what would happen to him. So here are parents, brand new parents, have this beautiful baby boy, but they realize If the Egyptians find out that this child has been born, this baby will be killed. So for the first three months of this child's life, they hide him. I don't know if you've ever had children or had small children in your house, but the first three months of a child's life is not all peaceful and copacetic and a beautiful moment like you see on the postcards. It's messy, it's noisy, it's chaotic. This child doesn't want to be on your schedule and doesn't want to necessarily work with you all the time. Or maybe your children were different than mine. But I know for me, the first three months, to even imagine trying to keep a child quiet and reserved and hidden away because of a threat to their life is almost unrealistic. But somehow they were able to do it. But I know there was a crisis at a point because the mom comes to a decision and says, we can't keep doing this. I imagine there was some kind of powwow with her husband and where they decided we have to make a different decision. And the decision that was made is we are going to make a little boat for this child and push him out into the Nile River. Now this isn't white water rafting for a three-month-old. It says that they set him in the reeds alongside the river and waited. It's also interesting that you look at the end of Exodus chapter 1, the last verse, and Pharaoh decreed that all the Hebrew baby boys should be thrown into the Nile River. So in one way, the mom was listening to what Pharaoh said. It said, I'm going to take my child and I'm going to put him into the Nile River and trust that God is going to do what he asks for this child. I do believe that this mom and uh, Moses' daughter also knew that this was where Pharaoh's daughter came to bathe. But nonetheless, there was no guarantee that this plan was going to work out and that this baby's life was going to be preserved. We read on in verses 5 to 8. Soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river, and her attendants walked along the riverbank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go and find out one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you, she asked. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went out and called the baby's mother. Praise God, the baby is saved. 
And even his own mother is able to continue to nurse this child. This is a new beginning for this little baby. The child is given a new lease on life from the princess of Egypt. Well, let's continue to read in verses 9 and 10. Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. I will pay you for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. Later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. So far, it seems like a great situation. Moses gets to live. The mom gets to take care of Moses. But in the midst of the story, you have to understand, there is a lot of letting go that's happening right in the middle here. Imagine being Moses' mom. That first push into the river was a period of letting go and saying, God, I'm going to trust you that you're going to preserve this child. Then that child's welcomed right back into her home and she gets paid to take care of him. But before you know it, she's going to have to let go again. We don't know how long Moses was in her home, but it could have been maybe three years or even more that she nursed him, took care of him, developed him to a point where finally Pharaoh's daughter said, I will take him as my own and adopt him. Imagine that Hebrew mother letting go of that child and saying, this is my son I've taken care of, and I'm going to release him to the royalty. I'm going to release him to the ones who have killed the other Hebrew children. I'm going to release him from my culture and allow him to go to a culture that's hostile to the one that we have embraced. There's a lot of letting go that I imagine Moses' mother went through. But think about Moses. A three-year-old can understand a lot. And waking up one day in rags and the other next day in riches. One day he is in the powerless class. And the next day he is in the powerful class. But now he has to call a different family his family, a different home, his home, a different language, his language. And with letting go, I believe there's kind of two different ways that we let go in life. One is that you make a, you make a choice. You decide to let go. And many times in the new year, we make choices to let go of things. We might say, in this new year, I'm going to let go of this bad habit. I'm going to decide to move forward from this. So it might be that you're a bit of a hoarder and you decide for the new year that I'm going to make a decision to not keep every wrapper and newspaper and thing that comes in the door, but I'm actually going to allow some things to go in the trash. That can be a decision you make. Maybe you decide to get on a new workout plan or a new healthy eating plan. And you make a decision to let go of something in the past and embrace something new. And that's healthy and good. But also there's another dynamic, that there can be times where we are forced to let go. That we don't have a decision about what has happened to us, and we are now forced to let go of the past because it no longer exists as it once was. A sickness happens. An accident happens. A child grows up. 
A car is wrecked. A marriage is devastated. Maybe not because of your choice. And now you're forced to let go of what once was. There's no choice. It's gone. It's changed. And this is what happened to Moses and his mother. They were forced to go in this direction. They didn't have a choice. Over Christmas, one of the gifts I got was uh, the Lord of the Rings Extended Edition Trilogy. Yeah, I know. I know. It was great. Along with all the Hobbit Extended Edition, too. So we had a Lord of the Rings marathon over Christmas. I ran a different kind earlier, but this one was on the couch with snacks. It was much more pleasant. Um, But with this, in one of the movies, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, which I am, Frodo, who's kind of the hero of the movie, a ring had come to him that was meant to destroy um, the whole lands, in a sense. I'm not going to get into a lot of the background. But basically, he makes a statement, I wish the ring had not come to me. I wish none of this had ever happened. And Gandalf says to him, so do all of us who see times like this. But this is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. There are other forces at work in the world, Frodo, besides the will of evil. Bilbo was meant to find the ring, in which case you were also meant to have it, and this is an encouraging thought. In other words, we don't get to always choose what comes to us. We don't get to choose everything that happens in our lives, but we do get to decide what we do with what happens to us. Well, some of you might be thinking, what happens if you don't let go? Because you might be thinking, well, yeah, you're forced to let go, but you can keep holding on. You can keep holding on in some ways. Well, that's interesting because I believe if you try to hold on to the past, which is no longer reality, you cannot live in the present. You can't live in what's happening here and now. If you're just simply wishing for the good old days to come back, You miss what's right in front of you. If you're holding on to a myth, I believe at some point you'll become disillusioned, discouraged, disappointed, and ultimately bitter about life. Just the other day I was driving and I looked over and the person's face next to me told me a lot about their life. Their frown was so embedded in their face that it seemed like it was coming off of their chin. And at some point in their life, (laughs) some decisions were made that life was no longer happy, life was no longer positive, and there wasn't much to live for. We need to be able to let go of the past and embrace what is. And Moses' mom had to let go. Moses had to let go. All these hopes and dreams that Moses' mom had for raising her son in her way, in her country, in her culture, were released. And now here Moses is embracing other things. And so what, what happens to Moses? How does his life go from here? 
Well, little is said about the next 40 years of his life. It's summed up in a few verses. But we can glean a few things. In Acts 7.22, it states this. Moses was taught in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he was powerful in both speech and action. That Moses was well-educated. He was in a position of power. He recognized this about himself. But although he was educated as an Egyptian, embedded in the Egyptian culture, completely surrounded with royalty, he recognized that he was still a guest and not the blood of the Egyptians. At his core, he was still a Hebrew, an Israelite from the slave class of that day. And there's this tension that we see begin to grow in Moses. And it's about his identity. In one way, I believe he felt like he belonged to the Egyptians, but in a whole other way, he would look out and see that he belonged to a different class of people. So how do we know this? Well, Exodus 2.11. Many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw the Egyptians beating one of his fellow Hebrews. Do you hear that in there? His own people. His fellow Israelites. That there are many people that we call our own people. How do you know when people are your own people? Because you heard that statement along the way, hey, these are my people. Maybe you've heard that. These are my people. I can relate to them. I understand them. This is blood. And when something happens to your people, it becomes real personal. If last night I was sitting in my house and my house got broken into, it would have been very, very personal because somebody was messing with my people. They're coming to my house. I imagine there was more than one robbery in Montgomery County last night that I don't know of. But they weren't my people. I have no concern for that, if I'm honest with myself. Think about over the last few years some of the movements that have risen around the United States. And whether or not you agree with this, I I believe this is a great picture of my people. Think, Think about the Me Too movement. If somebody has been abused, sexually abused by a person in a position of power, and if you have been in that same dynamic and have that happen to you, that is your people. This is your people. This is not somebody else. This is personal to you. Think about the march that happened in Washington, D.C. called the March for Our Lives where students after last year and a school shooting on Valentine's Day in Parkland, Florida where 17 people died, students rallied and formed this march and gathered in Washington, D.C. last year. And what you could hear from all the students and people who gathered, these are our people. These are my people. You can hear it in the Black Lives Matter movement, the Blue Lives Matter movement, and to make it very general for everyone, the All Lives Matter movement. But you hear it across the board that these are my people. These are people that when they suffer, I feel it. And there's this personal connection there. Just think about it like when you watch the news. If you're from a different city, a different state, a different country, when something comes up on the news about that, 
you kind of go, you might not say these are my people, but you're listening a little bit more. You're concerned a little bit more because you have this personal connection with what's happening. That's why your mama jokes are dangerous. Because when you start telling your mama jokes, it gets real personal real quick. And before you know, you're like, this is my mama. This is my people you're talking about here. But Moses is in this situation. That he's looking out and he's saying, these are my people. These are my people. This is my heritage. And he had known about it, but he hadn't seen it firsthand, it seemed like. And now he sees it firsthand. The suffering of his people. The the enslavement of his people. And so what does he do? Verse 12. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. Moses takes justice into his own hands. Kills the Egyptians, buries him. You ever get mad or frustrated with a situation that you just kind of lash out? That in a moment you think that you're going to undo all the injustices that have been done for how long to your people? This is what's happening with Moses right now. He's got this sense of justice going on, but he reacts. And that never really turns out real well. Because when you are in an emotionally heated, charged situation and you do a knee-jerk reaction to whatever's happening, good luck with it. I have this rule if I receive emails that are emotionally charged, I have a 24-hour rule. They don't get a response for a minimum 24 hours. Because I need to sit on that and not emotionally respond to that. Have you ever been guilty of hitting send on an email and you went, oh, wish I could have that one back? Or a text message that you go, oh, or a comment that you made, or a physical act that you've done because there was this emotional thing going on within you. Before you know it, the words have been said, the deeds have been done, and now there's no way gathering that back in. Knee-jerk reactions don't usually turn out real well. So what happens to Moses here? Well, the next day, verses 13 to 14, Moses went out to his people again. He said, my people. He saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend, Moses said to the one who had started the fight. The man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? I guess these aren't his people in some ways. Because instead of a warm reception from who he thought were his people, they're questioning him and saying, you aren't one of us. And now he's stuck in the middle. You have the Egyptians on one side. He's killed one of them. So now those, he can't go home. And the Israelites are saying, you aren't one of us either because we don't know who you are and who do you think you are. So instead of a warm reception, he's rejected. And it doesn't leave him with many options. And in verses 14 to 15, we read, Then Moses was afraid, thinking, Everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened, and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. To have another new beginning. (laughs) Another new beginning. 
Moses is 40 years old at this point. And he's had to let go of a lot of things in his past. Let's recap. His mom had to let go of him. He had to let go of his Hebrew culture. He had to embrace the Egyptian culture. And then he goes and tries to take matters into his own hands. And now he's in this point of letting go of both his Hebrew and Egyptian culture in a foreign land. And for the next 40 years of his life, he lives in Midian. He raises a family there. He becomes a shepherd there. And I imagine the inklings of what is going on in Egypt fade in his memory in many ways. Because he probably had to let go of any hopes or dreams or possibilities of his past. New beginnings are not always easy or pleasant or desired. And new beginnings mean old endings. That other things are coming to an end. And as we enter into this new year, Moses is a great example of many new beginnings, but also old endings. So I just want you to think about a few things. First, think, what is it that you need to let go of? What in your life do you need to let go of? Maybe change has already come, but you're still holding on to the past. And you need to let go and say, that is not how life is anymore. And I need to embrace what reality really is. Maybe it's hurt or pain. Maybe you need to let go of an addiction or a pattern of sin. And the new year is a great time to change directions in that. And next, turn to God. Turn to God and his plan. The word that the Bible used for this is repent. That we turn from our own desires and our own plans and purposes and we turn to God. We've been trying to do it on our own, and now we decide to let God live his plan through us. And so we need to evaluate, what is it we need to let go of? Where do we need to turn to God? And then finally, we need to trust that God is going to work out things for your good. Romans 8.28 states, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. It does not say in this verse that everything you experience is good. Oftentimes people can get up and say, man, it's all good. No, that's not what this verse says. It says God can take whatever messes and hurt and difficulties and struggles in your life and somehow work those in your life for good. And if you are a follower of Jesus... Somehow he can take that brokenness and that pain and that hurt or even the beauty in your life and put it together in this incredible tapestry to make something beautiful out of even brokenness. And we will see this in Moses' life. And next week we're going to be talking about leaning in. So today is about letting go and what we need to let go of. But next week we're going to lean in and see what God is saying and how we can respond and lean into what God is asking us to do. New beginnings always require letting go. And as you begin a new year, my hope and prayer is that you would simply think about what it is that you need to let go of. Turn to God and trust that God is working things for good in your life. Let's pray. God, you are a good God. And Moses' 
life story is messy. And Lord, as I even look at my own life story, I see the messes in my own life. And God, you somehow can work all these things for good. And I pray as we evaluate individually what is going on, that you would allow us to have a new beginning. And that some of these things in our life that are old, that need to come to an end, would come to an end. And Lord, that we would embrace the life that you have called us to live. And that we discover anew and fresh the goodness of you, God. May we begin new and let go of the things that you are calling us to let go of. In Jesus' name, amen.